welcome to the Scam Economy with your host, Matt Bender. Are you sick and tired of all the fees involved with banking and the old financial system? Well then, come over to the Ethereum Network where this past Saturday, you could have paid the low, low price of four figures in fees just to make a two-figure transaction. Folks, welcome to Scam Economy. My name is Matt Binder, and today we'll be talking about what the hell was going on with the Ethereum network this past weekend where gas fees that users pay for every transaction were at astronomical through the roof levels. Let me give you a hint. It involves the apes. And plus, if that's not enough to make you smack your forehead in disbelief, crypto people have a great idea on how they can use the blockchain in light of the possible ruling on Roe v. Wade from the Supreme Court. Oh boy. Anyway, you're not going to want to miss this episode. But first, if you like what you've heard on previous episodes or you're just tuning in for the first time and you end up liking what you hear, please, by all means, feel free to become a patron at patreon.com slash to financially help this show grow. I promise you there are no fees wrapped up in that. And of course, go to scameconomy.com for all the links to where you can find this show. And now to help us walk through this doozy of an episode, developer, Wikipedia editor, and the creator of web3isgoinggreat.com, Molly White. Thank you, Molly, for joining me once again on Scam Economy. Thanks for having me back. Now, Molly, there were so many things that happened over the past week that being that you run a website that literally tracks these very type of things that happen day in, day out. I I mean, you were the perfect person, the first person, I should say, that came to mind to have on to talk about this, uh, these various events. And uh, I feel like the first we should get to and and this, you know, this wasn't some big news, but it it does sort of, I think, require us to mention especially being that if you know if if you weren't living under a rock this past week or maybe i don't know you just woke up from a very long slumber uh you probably heard on monday night the news broke via a leak that the supreme court is as of right now at least planning to overturn roe v wade and you know a lot of takes are you know all over about this. Not good news, obviously, but for the purpose of scam economy, there was a very specific take that uh, I just couldn't believe I was seeing. And that is the uh, ingenious idea to establish a abortion DAO, as they called it. Um, And I got to say, I'm not going to name names because I actually saw this idea flow. There was that. There was one tweet that went viral that floated the idea. But actually, I searched it once I saw it, and I was like, "Wow, there is more than one person, completely unconnected, like they weren't seeing each other's tweets, who had this same idea." And I, 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 I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. <laughs> so, what, 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 what abortion down? What would you think? What, what are your opinions on it? 
Yeah, I mean, the good news is the tweets that I saw were mostly just like, maybe this would be a good idea and nothing that looked like people were actually, you know, leaping into action to do this. Although, you know, give them time and I'm sure someone will. But um, yeah, that seems like a remarkably bad idea to me. Um, You know, there's sort of inherent issues with trying to, you know, create crowdfund using crypto just in that you know, if the person on the other end doesn't already use crypto and isn't familiar with it, then they have to like set up a wallet and figure out how to exchange it into currency that they can actually use and then all that kind of thing. Or the DAO has to do it and then transfer that currency to them, in which case, why bother with crypto in the first place? Why not just use any of the many crowdfunding, you know, platforms that are out there? Um but in, in addition to that, I think there's a lot of concerning ideas around, you know, Web3 based abortion networks. There are people sort of romanticizing this like, you know, stand up against the man, you know, underground railroad of abortion providers. And it's like, no, please don't do that on the on the blockchain. You know, just the idea around recording who is in need of assistance to receive an abortion when it could potentially be criminalized, it's it's, it's just incredibly um, irresponsible, I think. And, and not only that, but, you know, there's concerns on the other end as well. You know, if you are basically providing funds to people who are seeking abortions when it's become illegal or if you are, you know, behind the organization of a group that's doing that, you know, the... The worst thing to do is write down what you're doing, and especially not on like a public immutable blockchain. So I I really hope that those were just sort of, you know, spur of the moment tweets that people dashed off without putting too much thought into it. But I'm a little worried about what we're going to see in the coming weeks as people sort of continue that thought process. Yeah, it, it seems every time uh, I've seen uh, someone float the idea of a insert blank DAO um, in response to a recent current event. It's always so bizarre to me because what they're looking to do is basically fundraise or you know, right. crowdsource fundraising uh, in some way. And it's like people have been doing that for decades <laughs> long since you know long before the internet existed there has been mutual aid yeah it's it's bizarre to see people be like finally with blockchains we can do this um, right. and and i could i could without a doubt being that it always seems like any of these projects the worst thing that could possibly happen happens i can totally imagine one of these being set up uh and them raising a lot of money because crypto people like to pump their projects to raise the uh, the uh, the the PR uh, the good the good press that crypto receives, and I can see some anti-choice activists somehow gaining control of the DAO through like buying the most tokens or whatever, and then diverting all of the funds to like some horrible anti-choice group. It really could not, you know, I could not see a scenario where this would be good. (laughs) Yeah. And, 
You know, I the first thing that sprung to mind for me was, you know, the the traceability of the blockchain. You know, if if someone's trying to circumvent laws, then, you know, obviously it's a bad idea to do that in a place that's public and that the government or law enforcement can see that. But it also occurred to me that, like, those are not the only people that people have to worry about. And so, you know, if you're making bank transactions or if, you know, the government is tracing your finances in, in more traditional forms, you know, for law enforcement, that's one thing. But typically, you know, anti-abortion activists can't see your payments or your donations. You know, they don't have access to your bank account statements. And the idea that, oh, we should somehow do this in a public ledger where, you know, people could potentially, <laughs> here's my cat, uh, where people could potentially track that and actually like identify individuals who are enabling abortions. Like, it's not just the police that you have to worry about at that point. It's, you know, real dangerous people in some cases. And so that worries me a lot. Um, and on the on the donation end of things, you know, I feel like crypto practically since the beginning has had this reputation of being a great way to support whistleblowers and dissidents and people who are being persecuted um, <laughs> who may not. She wants my microphone now. I, th I think Who, your cat is agreeing that this DAO is a horrible idea. Yes, she's horrified. Um, yeah, so there's sort of this narrative that crypto is great for, you know, funding uh, political dissidents. But we've just seen a very prominent case where that turned out not to be true with Binance, who um, basically turned over customer information to the Putin regime on Navalny, the, his, you know, primary opponent who he has tried to kill, you know, at least once, allegedly, um, you know, and so now, you know, we saw basically a serious uh, situation where people who are donating against the, the standing regime are now seriously in danger because of it. And I feel like, you know, we could maybe take a lesson from that when it comes to trying to think of ways to, you know, fund people who do need money that may not be, you know, smiled upon by the government pretty soon if if assuming this this passes. Right. Yes. And you know, obviously in, in, in normally I guess I wouldn't uh bring up just a, there's there's enough actual crypto things happening. Where normally I wouldn't bring up like some random spur of the moment idea from just a bunch of uh, random people online who just had a mind meld and all thought of the same thing at once, uh, which maybe is horrifying in another way we haven't talked about that they all had the same idea. Um, but you know, with with um, I, with what happened this week and then what I just said, how they had this idea, I think it sort of really goes to show. That these are sort these are sort of like the the this is the space like this is what we're talking about when we talk Web three. It's a bunch of people who are thinking of who are always thinking of like oh something just happened. How can I turn this into a crypto opportunity or an NFT project or a new Web three app or something like that? Um, I mean. Even with the most good intentions, when we get down to it, we are talking about the monetization or the commodifying of something. And in this very specific example, it's the commodification of abortions. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the best case scenario is, you know, people just donate crypto and it goes to an organization and that organization responsibly distributes it, you know, and that's fine. I, I hope that happens. It happened with Ukraine and it worked out kind of OK. You know, there there have been successful crypto fundraisers, but the whole idea around abortion DAO where there's like a governance structure and you know, they're talking about underground uh, abortion networks on the blockchain and stuff like that. That's that starts to really, really frighten me. Um, right. I, I always so have, I always have a problem, though, with the, the crypto fundraisers, because, yeah, I, I, at the end of the day, when, you know, when push comes to shove, I would say as long as it's just people straight up just donating it, it is more often than not, I guess, a net positive. But at the same time, you know, when you're donating with. Who the evil U.S. dollar, or uh, you know, via you know your bank account or credit card, you know, there's no pr- promotion behind it. It's just straight up a charity you're giving f- to help. Every crypto charity fundraising drive always feels like to me, like even though they're giving, there is the th- thought in the back of their minds, or even in the front of their minds, honestly, where we're specifically doing this via crypto to pump crypto. Right. And I think I see it a lot as like reputation laundering, you know, where crypto has developed a a negative reputation to a lot of people who associate it with scams and fraud and, you know, money laundering and criminal activity for, you know, good reason, I would say. Um, And so, you know, there's sort of this idea that I think people try to sort of rehabilitate crypto's image with things like, I mean, Ukraine was an enormous example of it, you know, look at all this money we're raising for Ukraine. And, you know, the sort of idea that was being pushed that somehow Ukraine wasn't able to get donations already. And thank goodness crypto is here, which was just not the reality. You know, there was there was quite a lot of standard fiat currency going to Ukraine. Um, a lot more than crypto, actually. Quite right? a lot more yeah. than crypto, right? Exactly. Um, and yet, somehow, there were headlines and all this. You know, could you, you know, crypto be the the way that Ukraine, you know, beats Russia and all this? And it's like, wow, right. <laughs> you know, it's weird to see. Um, right. I didn't, you I know, did, and I did an episode on this, and the two things that stood out to me, and I want to get your opinion on these on these things, is that you know, well, because it, it does tie into the idea of fundraising via crypto. In a broader sense, you know, one was you probably saw all the different, uh, you know, cryptocurrency founders falling over themselves to try to get the Ukrainian government to accept their specific crypto. Um, And it was literally the most flagrant in your face public form of essentially blackmail I've ever seen. I will donate one million dollars. I will donate five million dollars to the Ukrainian effort if you accept my crypto. It was just like, my God. And then yeah. two, two um, when I, I, I dove, I, I don't know if I saw anyone else really point this out. I saw people point out that there was a spike when Ukraine originally offered the airdrop. But I I, I Long after, like I gave them a real shot to show that like, hey, maybe there's ebbs and flows like weeks and weeks later, I went back and the crypto donations plummeted and continued to spiral, never shooting. You know, every day after was lower than the day before. Uh, 
since the airdrop. It was the, the, or the planned airdrop was canceled, I should say. So it, it, uh, example number one, you have the people trying to pump their coin. Example number two, you have the people donating specifically because they were told you will get something if you donate, something that possibly will be worth money. And then they yeah. all stopped donating once that was canceled. And actually, even with that, um, I did read about that a little bit. Someone did a report on it, and I can't think off the top of my head who it was. But um, someone looked into it, and the number or the amount that people were donating was tiny. I mean, it was like very, very small transactions that would basically be enough to trigger the airdrop, but not enough to actually, you know, not the kind of money that a traditional, like most people would donate, you know, 20 bucks or something to Ukraine. And it was like... 10 cents, you know, <laughs> like that one wasn't me. That was vice. Cause I remember, cause they got on the phone or Skype or whatever. They spoke with one of the, um, the Ukraine, uh, uh, politicians, like the, the digital, uh, you know, head, whatever. And he said to them, you know, we realized that this was a bad idea because exactly what you said, we announced it. Yeah. And all of a sudden it went from, you know, we were getting, you know, not too many donations, but they were substantial in the ones that were coming in. And then all of a sudden, we were getting tens of thousands of donations, and it was completely ridiculous sums, ridiculously small sums, I should stress. Uh, yeah. And to him, he said it was clear they were just trying to get the airdrop, and he he had a problem with them trying to essentially profit off of war. Imagine that. Yeah. I can't imagine why someone would have a problem with that. Right. Yeah. And and there were, I mean, I was hearing about people basically Sybil attacking the airdrop, you know, creating 10 crypto wallets and transferring minuscule amounts so that they could get 10 of the promised NFTs, which is just ghoulish behavior. You know, if you think about it, it's like donate to help people. That's the point of donations, you know, make you know, help these people who are in an actual terrible situation. Don't donate because you think an NFT might be worth something, you know, in a year from now. Um, I was really glad when they canceled the airdrop because I was kind of dreading the the sort of behavior that I was expecting to see afterwards. Um, but it was it was funny to see people talking about how they got rugged by Ukraine because Ukraine didn't release their promised NFTs that they'd paid for or whatever. I think most people were being pretty tongue in cheek about it, but it's just kind of bizarre to see, you know, the crypto ideology applied to something very serious. And, you know, that idea that a, a war-torn country is rugging you because they didn't give you an NFT that you bought for 10 cents. Right. You know, it just seems completely out of fiction. Although now I'm thinking of the scenario where those same people get rugged by, like, Planned Parenthood, and I sort of do want to see, see it. <laughs> no, there's an idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe this wasn't such a bad idea, but for completely different reasons. Uh, so, Molly, let's let's actually move on. Uh, again, I, I wasn't expecting to really talk about this, but I felt like it was impossible to not bring up after this week's events. Um, let's talk about the other event that happened this week that was more specific to the crypto space. And that is the crazy Bored Ape Yacht Club NFT launch that happened late Saturday night. 
uh, this past Saturday. So what what date would that be? Saturday, uh, April 30th, right? Yeah, Saturday, April 30th. And it completely uh, failed. And, you know, they, they sort of like it was the sideshow Bob stepping on rakes of yes. cryptocurrency. It was, again, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. And every we're going to get into it all. Let's let, let what, what, you know, what, what was your reaction? Cause you were the first person, like I logged in that night on Twitter randomly, maybe like, I guess an hour or something after the launch. And I saw all these tweets from people who, uh, I forgot how I came across. Maybe there was something trending in like the for you trends. And I clicked it and I saw all these people, uh, complaining about how high the Ethereum gas fees were. And, um, you know, I was posting, like, sharing some of the tweets because the reactions were incredible. And then I saw you and you were the first person who explained what was going on. I went, oh, that was tonight. Right. So yeah. wh- wh- what was your reaction when you saw what was happening? So I had forgotten that it was happening. I mean, I knew it was coming, but I kind of like didn't look at the date and I sort of forgot what was going to happen. And so... I saw that uh, I saw the similar thing. People were like, oh, my God, gas is so high right now. What's going on? Um, And I saw some people talking about NFTs. And so I went to OpenSea and looked at you can basically just look at all recent sale activity on OpenSea. And so I went and looked and it was like other side, other side, other side, other side. And I was like, oh, I recognize this. Um, And so I sort of dug into it a little bit after that. And, you know, I was like, oh, there's the this launch that I knew was happening because they'd been, you know, I had covered some of the the lead up to it where they first were like, we need you to give us your personal information, you know, KYC, know your customer checks, which is not something that Board Ape has ever required before. And they basically had made this announcement that people were going to need to do that now, but they wouldn't tell people why, you know, which very was very unpleasant news for a fair number of Board Ape holders. Um, so I sort of knew what was coming, and so I sort of dashed out uh, a Web3 is great entry about it because I was just looking through the transactions on OpenSea and looking at how high the gas fees were, and I was, I mean, I've never seen them that high before. I've seen them high. I mean, they do fluctuate and they spike to to what I would think is an you know unacceptable level of like. $60 or $100, but we were seeing gas fees of, you know, $3,500 or yeah, you know, $4,000, something yeah. in that range. And even some people were talking about, you know, estimated gas fees that, you know, when they went to their MetaMask and they were trying to approve the transaction, MetaMask was basically saying, you might have to pay $10,000 in gas fees for this transaction, which is unbelievable. The, I, let's, let's, let's actually, uh, Rewind a little bit because I think some people might be listening in and tuning in and they might be thinking, I have never heard what Other Side is and I've heard of the Board API Club before. What is Other Side? I think that's a very good question. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Basically, the people behind the Board Apes project have announced that they're going to create a metaverse game. And it has land in it. And that's almost all that they've said, which is, you know, kind of wild when you look at it, but also extremely common in this space where people basically sell vaporware. You know, it's like there's no actual game yet. You can't download anything and go play it. You know, there's nothing that you can actually do yet, but you can own it, you know, (laughs) and people love that. 
Um, and so people were basically bidding or not, they were minting NFTs um, for little squares of land in this eventual, you know, metaverse game and, and different pieces have different attributes around, you know, there's there's water in this one and there's resources and, and who knows that will all apparently become part of this game. But I don't think anyone really knows what the game is going to be yet. Uh, so, you know, who's to say, but, you know, people sort of speculate around whether they could maybe like set up, you know, it's like mine the resources on their land or set up a little shop by a bridge so that, you know, it's the only place people can go. It's very, it's very bizarre that people are basically building this game in their heads. Right. Well, we do know that there will be land because they sold a hundred thousand NFTs of like that were plots of land, right? That's what these NFTs were. Yeah, something like that. There were only like fifty five thousand that were publicly available, I think, uh -huh. because they sort of partial parceled off bits of them as these projects tend to do, where you know the founders get a whole bunch of them, and the and then there's all this stuff with the board apes too, where you know the board apes people who have hold board apes already or the various other nft projects that are sort of in that family they get early access and and with this one i think they even extended that early access to another couple of like blue chip nft projects which i think is very much um we're really starting to see this sort of the rich get richer uh thing happening very widely in nfts where it's right. like if you own this NFT that resells for, you know, over $100,000, then you get all this free stuff and you get early access to these other NFTs that are hopefully going to go up in price like these ones. And, you know, it, it sort of is this, it, it opens the doors to things in, in a very similar way to, you know, traditional finance and the way that, you know, people who are into crypto talk about escaping, you know, and so right. it's kind of odd to see those things forming so quickly and so egregiously. I, you know, when uh, uh, they often bring up the whole idea of like uh, this space is like uh, democratizing the Internet and it's going to bring like equality to people of all classes, the classes like, you know, it's going to help the poor and the, the those in poverty. And the more I think about it, like, I used to laugh at that, like, yeah, democracy in action when I would hear something just like what you described. And now that I think about it more and more, uh, maybe they are right, but what they're bringing to the table is actually very specifically this late-stage capitalism, U.S. current-day democracy that we see in the real world right now. And they are giving us exactly that, it seems like. Yeah, they're doing a great job of it. <laughs> right. But right. yeah, I mean, in this case, you know, even people who had free NFTs still had to pay you know, several thousand dollars just to mint them, which is absolutely insane. You know, they, especially when people start to talk about crypto as this, it's got no fees. You don't have to pay the banks that are all these middlemen. You know, you don't have to pay for your Western Union transfer that like skims a cut of your transaction. And then we look at stuff like this where people are spending huge amounts, far more than you would ever pay in like a Western Union transaction of the same size. It's like, you know, which is it? Um, you know, obviously there are cryptos that are trying to, you know, be low fee and they are built in different ways. But one of the funniest things about the the Board Ape fiasco is that a lot of people who do use and are proponents of those other sort of al alternative blockchains that don't have as high gas fees were saying, you know, look at this. This is the obvious example of why you should be using Solana, which is one of the 
uh, blockchains that is, you know, based in proof of stake. Gas fees are super low, like fractions of a penny or whatever. But the same night that the uh, Bored Apes released their their project and, you know, absolutely flooded Ethereum, Solana went down for seven hours because they were getting flooded with NFT minting themselves. And the problem on their end was actually because gas fees are so low, it's trivial for bots to flood the network because, you know, on Ethereum, if you have to send, you know, $100 per transaction for the gas fees, that that very much discourages botting because, you know, each transaction is just, it's prohibitively expensive. But on Solana, when there's practically no fee, you can get these bot farms basically spamming NFT mints and in this case, completely taking down the network for multiple hours. And so it was like we were seeing, you know, simultaneously two different networks with very different uh, consensus mechanisms, with very different ideals, both just completely falling apart due to NFT projects. You know, this this is just incredible in the sense that, like, you have on one end what you, you know, the 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 uh, the blockchain network with the high fees, the other end, the blockchain network with the low fees or barely visible fees even and you know uh advocates for one will tell you why the other is better and advocates for the other will tell you why the opposite is better and it seems like they both absolutely suck (laughs) it sure looked like it this weekend yeah that was quite the fiasco and the, the the wild thing about it too is that you know one project can do that you know, Ethereum has tons of projects using it in various ways. You know, there's other NFT projects, there's people trading Ether itself, there's, you know, these applications that are built on it, and everything totally ground to a halt because every transaction suddenly became so much more expensive than it ever had been in the past. And, you know, that was just one project that did that. It, it sort of ruined everything for everyone, you know, and that's that's like you know, noisy neighbors is something we talk about in software where like, you know, processes running on a machine, if they start to take up too much memory or or whatever it might be, they can sort of affect other processes. And like software has come up with some pretty good ways to avoid that, you know, and that is sort of, you know, it's a known problem that people think about and try to get around. And then there's Ethereum that's like, good luck, everyone. Guess you're just going to have to pay more. You know, (laughs) there's no attempts to sort of sandbox it. And so we end up with with things like this. Right. I think people should understand that about, you know, because when they think of fees, they probably, again, if you're not familiar with crypto, they hear fees, they think of, oh, you know, when you pay with a credit card, the, uh, you know, the business has to take a fairly small fee, honestly, uh, hit hit, uh, when it comes to the credit card use. And then, um, you know, fees elsewhere, like if you use PayPal, there's a fee. Uh, PayPal fees can be annoying, yes. But you can tell what these fees are. Like they're pegged to a percentage usually and then maybe like a flat 30 cents or 25 cents or whatever to it. So you could know in advance, oh, okay, and make your choice about whether this is the right Way to go. This is the correct payment processing service you want to use. With Ethereum, gas fees do not peg to any price. It is based on something that no one user, well, I guess except for the Board API Club, can control. Right. Yeah, I was thinking about this when this was happening. Like, can you imagine in real life, you know, you go to the grocery store, you fill up your cart, you've got your groceries, you're in the checkout line, and then you go to swipe your card, 
And in addition to paying for your groceries, suddenly the credit card fee is like three times the total amount that you're going to pay for your groceries. And you have to be like, sorry, I guess I'll come back later when the transaction fees aren't so high. Everyone's using Visa all at once. And so, you know, <laughs> because of this, I can't afford to buy my groceries tonight. You know, it's like Costco people would just not that. accept that. Costco just had that hot dog drop for July 4th. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like people would not accept that if, if that was, you know, how this was actually working. But then, you know, with Ethereum, with Bitcoin, you know, this is just something that happens. You know, I mean, Bitcoin, it's a little bit less severe because it's a little less volatile, but it's a lot more volatile than, you know, your your standard grocery trip. And then people talk about how this is the future of the web and the future of finance. And it's like, is it? You know, I don't know if that is. It's also incredible because their whole thing is like, oh, this is super fast, instant transaction, right? Like that's even though it's even even that argument's not true, but that they say they get their, you know, you could send a Bitcoin or Ether and then seconds later, the person you sent it to will have it. Oh, what if the gas fees are really high? What if I want to send someone a hundred bucks, a couple hundred bucks, and the you know the fees are like close to that same amount? Oh, you can just wait till there's less traffic. Oh, okay, you know. Yeah, it's... come back and buy your hamburger tomorrow when there's not as high of a fee. Right. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's really funny too because it's not very fast. You know, if you're actually waiting for the transaction to settle, it takes a while. And so, have you ever seen that video of the guy trying to buy a beer at Bitcoin Beach in El Salvador or whatever? And he's got his phone and he's like you know, on camera trying to sort of play it up for the camera. He's like, I'm going to buy this beer with my Bitcoin now. And he like taps his phone and then he waits for like a minute. And he's like, any second now I can get my beer. And it's like, ooh, you know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, what's amazing is this would be incredible technology maybe uh, before, when did Apple Pay come out again? I mean, <laughs> I mean yeah. what's, like an Apple Pay, uh, literally, you don't got to, you, you double tap the side and boom, your, go, your payment goes right through. Um, yeah, it's an odd thing that, you know, crypto people are basically talking about the amount of time it takes for like the the transaction to go through at what is sort of equivalent to like the bank level. Because, you know, when you make a credit card uh, purchase or if you transfer money, you know, in some way or another, you know, there's sort of this pretend period where you've transferred it or you've received it, but like technically it hasn't actually settled and your bank is still processing the transaction and it can take a day or two, um, which for most transactions is like not a huge deal. You know, like if I go buy a coffee and, you know, I can still take the coffee into my hand and, you know, go about my day while the bank figures everything out on the back end, you know, like it doesn't typically affect people all that much. And, you know, I think there are some legitimate arguments to be made around emergency payments where if you need to get someone money that they can withdraw right this second, you know, then then there can be slowdowns, especially with larger amounts and stuff like that. But like most people that, you know, are talking about this are talking about just like the day to day transactions being you know, slow in a way that most people don't actually realize is happening. Right, right. You know, also, uh, there's two things here that, that I thought about right away when you were talking about this. One is, like, even if, when it comes to, like, emergency transactions, we have to get someone money real quick. I don't know, maybe, like, you know, they, they lost their wallet on an overseas trip and they got nothing. 
um you know uh paypal does offer like instant transfer now like literally for they charge you for it uh there's a fee i think it's like two percent or three percent or whatever um again if you're if you happen to lose your wallet just as board ape yacht club mints a brand new nft project that's probably the more affordable way to go <laughs> the, the paypal instant transfer um but- you yep. But also, last uh, just the last episode of, of Scam Economy, I had on um, Mario Gomez, who was arrested in El Salvador uh, for protesting their Bitcoin law. And, and he told me, because I, I talked to him about this, I was like, you know, the main thing that so many crypto people, like you, you could knock crypto down, knock the space down with critique after critique after critique, and they will continue to hedge and then at the end of the day, they'll always just fall back on, but remittances with people overseas, you're just lucky that you live in the U.S. When it comes to yeah, remittances. Yeah, you're so privileged for the yeah, beer. Yeah. Yeah. And I asked him, is, is this true? And he said, absolutely not. He said the vast majority of people in El Salvador, you know, compared to like how much they make a month and how much they would send or receive – it would not make any sense to send via crypto and it's actually still cheaper to do it via means like as basic as like Western Union. He said yeah. people just aren't using it, at least in El Salvador. He said like I think he said the um you know the uh the monthly income there was something like three hundred dollars or something like that. So, you know, if you're overseas and a family in El Salvador and you want to send them like what would be for them a month's salary, three hundred dollars on over ethereum or bitcoin probably would end up adding a huge chunk of uh fees to that for for really no reason i mean i guess if you were going to send a hundred thousand dollars bitcoin or ethereum would be the better way to go but again we're talking about a system that then uh benefits the wealthy over the ordinary people that were sold these systems are are supposed to be actually helping yeah yeah, and I've heard Mario speaking on Crypto Critics Corner about the same thing about remittances. And he also challenged the idea that they're fast because he was talking about spending, I forget what it was, it was like 19 days or something waiting for a Bitcoin transaction to actually go through because it got stuck in the pipes of Chiva wallet somehow. And he you know, was getting calls from tech support and it was like this nightmare scenario. Um so, you know, I think there's some kinks to work out there on the remittances argument. Right. Right. So we have this Board Ape Yacht Club. Pro- oh, you know, what What I did actually, and this is sort of my, um, this is my barometer for Ethereum fees. Because whenever you bring up the, the, the astronomical fees on Ethereum, I, I don't know if you ever get this, but I always get this. I'm assuming you always get this. Um, they'll always say, Oh, you know, uh, you're, you're being silly if you say, oh, if you want to send, you know, 50 bucks uh, over the Ethereum blockchain to somebody, the Ethereum network, because that's not what that network, that blockchain's for. No one should be sending small amounts of money. No one does that. And it's like, OK, uh, if that's the argument, then explain this to me. If you want to register a .eth Dom- a blockchain domain, literally what you guys are all pushing as like the identifier for your whole little world. Like nothing – I haven't seen any other uh, – you know, there's different uh, sort of I guess blockchain domain registries. Like there are actual domain registries. 
but the .eth one with their $5 a year reg- registration that's the one that everyone is going to and that's the one everyone is saying this is going to be my identification in the web3 space if you want to send me money to my uh, you know send money to my wallet uh you have this is what you would use so that's sort of to me that blows it all out of the water in terms of that argument cuz if at the very least if you want that identification you have to spend that $5 a year fee at least once a year and so i usually go there to see okay how much are we spending on fees if I want to spend $5 to register this .eth domain? And that night, I checked, and the fee for the domain for one year, $5, the gas fee, $4,661.80. <laughs> I mean, yep. what? Well, and that's partly why I was watching OpenSea activity, too, because it it showed both that um, basically transactions on OpenSea basically stopped aside from the uh, other side land deed transactions, which were pretty frequent. Um, but, you know, you were looking at that activity log, which usually has a bunch of NFTs going all over the place. And it was, you know, one two, maybe every couple of minutes and only usually the pricey ones, because if you're going to be paying, you know, $3,000, $4,000 for the transaction, you know, you kind of have to, it has to be worth it. But then every once in a while, one would come through and I would see an NFT sell for like $200. You know, that's like the actual price of the NFT. And so there were people for some reason who were buying NFTs that were like 200 bucks and paying, you know, 3500 bucks for the transaction. And I still have no idea what was happening there. I tried to reach out to one of the people who I saw do that, but I never heard back from them. But I'm, I'm very curious, you know, why they had to have that NFT right then and there, you know, and, and couldn't wait for gas <laughs> to go down. And, you know, what was the thought process? I have to feed my family with this NFT. They're hungry right now. <laughs> <laughs> and they were all really bad too. You know, it wasn't even like the nice artwork ones. You know, it was like wait, they, just those those, ex- those exist. <laughs> they exist not on not on OpenSea a lot of the time. I feel like OpenSea feels like kind of the bottom of the barrel. But I th- I gotta say, you're being too nice, Molly. <laughs> <laughs> so I-, I saw today that uh, I know th- I know they previously announced that Yuga Labs. Was sort of like uh, at the, you know that night they put out a series of tweets with like the Pikachu shocked face, going like, "Oh my, what happened here? I can't believe it!" And they received a lot of criticism from even their own supporters and fans and and uh, bored ape hold holders who were sort of like, "You knew this was gonna happen. I'll still send you all the money in the world, but you knew." And I was like, uh, "Really? Like you, you? You? There's nothing these guys." can do that'll make you just be like turned away but like apparently they had the speculation i should say let's be full for you know disclosure here this is allegedly um there's some uh, speculation that they had some sort of uh idea this would happen and you know it was purposely done this way so they could set up their own blockchain down the down the road or something like that yeah i mean it seems like the only people who didn't see this coming, if you take them at their word, was Yuga Labs. You know, everyone else was like, what happens when you release 55,000 NFTs 
to, you know, at a very high price and people are going to scramble to get them, you know, gas war. That's right. a known thing. There's and a it's word like for the it. only successful <laughs> NFT project in existence. Like, you know, literally, like I can't picture this happening for any other NFT project. Can you like, do you know of any other one that would even be at this level? I mean, there are other pricey NFTs out there, but they aren't really sort of franchising in the way that uh, Bored Apes seem to be doing. Right. Um, you know, I could see... One of the other, you know, if crypto punks decided they wanted to go do land now, there would probably be appetite for that. But yeah, they're they're few and far between. And which is now um, owned by Google Labs too. Oh yeah, that's true. Decentralization. <laughs> oh my gosh, what a world! Yeah, I swear <laughs> I wasn't setting you up for that alley but actually, it's true. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, I think basically everyone knew it was going to happen. And even Yuga Labs had originally planned to do the auction in a different way because they were trying to mitigate gas wars. So, you know, it's hard for them to say, oops, we didn't see this coming when they had been like publicly talking about trying to do the auction differently so that they didn't get these gas fees. And then they ended up being like, actually Dutch auctions are stupid and it's not going to fix the gas fee problem. And people are like, what? You know, like, why would you just go to the worst thing then, you know, if it's going to be bad? Um, so I don't I don't believe them personally when they're like, oops, you know, didn't mean to. Sorry. Um, you know, the, the, the sort of like tinfoil hat thing that I've been seeing is that this was a way for them to be like, we have no choice but to create our own blockchain, you know. Oh, no. And, um, <laughs> you know, it seems like that sort of played out exactly as people predicted you know there were there were people saying that and then sure enough yuga labs was like so i guess we have to do a new blockchain now and people are like we're shocked <laughs> i mean they're so they have such a hardcore fan base now that you think they wouldn't really need to do that they could have just come out in my opinion and been like hey we looked at the you know the the technicalities of all this and we should have our own blockchain we're we're the, we're the biggest nft uh company in the biz we should be owning the whole network really so we could make sure that we you know we could serve you guys right like there's an easy way for for them to it wouldn't even take a lot of work to simply like finagle the wording to make it seem like it was all about customer support or something like that I think that's true. And I sort of was thinking about that as well. But they also did make a lot of news for basically, you know, slowing Ethereum to a crawl and being the only ones that were using it. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised personally. You know, I'm a cynic, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a marketing thing. Oh, no. You, you're you blowing my mind right now because I, I did that. I wrote about it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Oh no! I, to me, I was going ha 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 ha, another fail for the crypto uh, heads, and now you're making me think. Oh no! I fell for a, yet another crypto PR push. I, mean, I do it all the time on on Web three. It's great, you know. I write something, and then people are like, "They're just doing this for the marketing," and I was like, "Oops." <laughs> oh. Like actually, when I when I posted a picture of some of the NFTs that uh, sold you know, for 200 bucks or whatever with the huge transaction fees, there are a couple of people who were like, this is going to pump the price of, it was Andy Milanakis's NFT project was one of them. There was like this pixel art goat sitting in a bowl of soup, which is apparently a thing that Andy Milanakis is doing. Um, and people were like, you're going to inadvertently pump the price of Andy Milanakis's NFTs. And I was like, first of all, <laughs> 
why does Andy Milanakis have <laughs> NFTs? Second of all, if Web3 is going great, is now being used by like these NFT masterminds to like pump their projects. That's horrifying to me and like sort of tests the boundaries of reason, I think. I'm, I'm waiting for the first NFT project to purposely get on Web3 is going great and then putting out a press release, taking out the irony in your name. Like we were, you know, we were we were uh, name dropped by the website. <laughs> Web3 is going great as a great project for you to check out. <laughs> That would be very funny. <laughs> oh, I, would no. get, I would be like, you know what? Fair enough. <laughs> I might have thrown the idea out there into the ether for them to use. Uh, That's pun, true. Pun They're all going to have to credit you now. Right. <laughs> so uh, I saw Yuga Labs is actually made, made nice, by the way, on their offer to refund uh, people who paid gas fees and uh, did not – because that's the thing I don't think people realize. Um, the reason these gas fees are so high is because uh, they – some people pay extra to ensure their transaction goes through. And if you don't pay a gas fee that's high enough, your transaction could fail and you might be going, oh, you know, you could just try again later. But no, you actually – if your transaction fails, you still pay the gas fee. I think a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it goes against basically, you know, every service that people use in real life where if something goes wrong, you know, typically the person, the the service is the one that like eats any potential cost or, or whatever it might be. But there's there's no way to do that with Ethereum. You still have to pay for the sort of attempt because it still uses computing power, you know, and that's what you're paying for, basically. Um so yeah, they they there were people that lost you know multiple thousands of dollars. You know they tried to mint their NFT that didn't go through, and then some of them didn't even have you know they didn't have extra thousands of dollars sitting around. So not only did they lose the gas fee, they also missed out on the NFT that they were trying to buy. Uh, and some people were really upset about that. I mean, I could I and, and I could imagine honestly. And then Yuga said, you know, they'll they'll refund those those people who failed their transaction failed, and it seems like they have. But I want to be very specific here. Uh, you know, Yuga Labs's uh, kindness, I guess. Uh, how much did they make again that night in in one uh, Saturday night? Something like two hundred eighty one million dollars, something like that. Yeah, it was several hundred million. I forget the exact number. Imagine making uh, Jesus Christ a quarter of a. Over a quarter of a billion dollars in one night when being in for selling an NFT. Oh God! Oh my God! Of something that doesn't really exist. For, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, and, and then and then so they they decided to use some of that two hundred eighty some odd million dollars to refund some fees, but this is all those refunds only went to people whose transactions failed, who were directly transacting with. Yuga Labs. Think about all the other people using the Ethereum network that night who had failed transactions. I'm sure there are people who were even trying to buy Yuga NFTs on aftermarkets that night with right. who, who lost gas fees and because they failed. Those people, thousands of dollars straight down the toilet, and they didn't even get an NFT out of it. I mean, I would say straight down the toilet, even if they did get the NFT, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's it's it was bad news <laughs> oh my god molly white developer wikipedia editor 
creator of web3isgoinggreat.com. Honestly, one of my favorite websites uh, in existence. I love it. And uh, also one of my favorite Scam Economy guests. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Where can people find you, by the way, if, uh, you know, other than Web3 is going great? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. My username is Molly0XFFF. And there's also a Twitter account, Web3 is great, for the, the side project. Um, or you can find my website, mollywhite.net. And folks, if you're looking for something to do with $5 you just happen to have lying around and you don't want to pay roughly $4,661.80 in fees, do not put those five bucks on the Ethereum network. Go over to patreon.com slash You like where I went with this? And become a patron. I only ask for $5. You can give a little bit less. You can give a little bit more. You can give a lot more if you want. But all I ask, the, the, the suggested donation is $5. And what that does is it enables me to continue to make great content for all of you here on Scam Economy, over on Doomed with Matt Binder, and really any other project I end up working on in terms of maybe reviving the newsletter I had running a couple of years ago. That's one idea. But let's let's keep it here with Scam Economy right now, where you can find all the links to the show over at scameconomy.com. The link to Apple Podcasts, the link to Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, even Google Play is on there. You can also support this show by leaving a review over at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. If you could do one, that would be great. If you could do two, that would be even better. But please do go leave a review where you listen to the podcast. As always, the video version of the show is available at youtube.com slash mattbinder along with the post-show crypto hotline live stream that airs right after the premiere of the main episode. It also airs over at twitch.tv slash mattbinder. Multicast, right? YouTube and Twitch. But over on Twitch, there's something really cool you can do if you don't you don't got the five bucks in your pocket, or maybe you did end up spending roughly four thousand and six hundred and sixty-six dollars over on Ethereum to send five dollars. I, I you know, the money's tight now if you did that. I get it. Uh especially if the transaction failed and you didn't even get an ape or land belonging to a non-existent ape game out of it. I know. But if you are an Amazon Prime subscriber already, you can simply connect your Amazon Prime account to your Twitch Prime, excuse me, to your Twitch account, and then you get Twitch Prime. And what's that? Amazon gives you a free Twitch subscription, a paid Twitch subscription, not for you. It's free for you, but it's the equivalent to a paid subscription, meaning you subscribe to a Twitch user. Hopefully that's me. And Amazon will convert that freebie into basically money for me. It costs you nothing, costs Amazon everything. And I come out ahead. 
It's a win, 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 win. So please go do that if you can at twitch.tv slash mapbinder. Uh, as always, you could check out my other podcast, doomedcast.com. Follow me on Twitter at mapbinder. And next time on Scam Economy, if you enjoyed my talk with Molly White, you're in luck. Molly returns again next week to break down a victory for the crypto skeptics. Wikipedia has decided to no longer accept cryptocurrency donations. There's a lot to talk about there. I swear it's not as simple and straightforward as it sounds. And Molly is going to join us again next week to break it all down for us. And with that, I will see you all next time on The Scam Economy. Yeah.